Welcome to the Needle's Eye Faith and Work Show, a show that aims to help Christian professionals grow in Christ, find your purpose, and transform your workplace. I'm Jeremy Wolf with Needle's Eye, and I'm sitting down with working men and women to find out how their faith impacts their work. Today, I'm joined by Lee Mitchell, husband, father, and bivocational pastor. Hey, Lee. Hey, man. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Absolutely. I, I am honestly, I'm excited um, because uniquely, you are, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe you are the first truly bivocational guest that we have. And I'm actually really interested to talk to you a little bit about like, what are the realities, the challenges, whatever, of being a bivocational person who has a full-time job as a you know senior vice president at a, at a local commercial or kind of large commercial bank, and you are a pastor of a church. And I imagine there's got to be a lot of time constraints and all these other things. I'm excited to drill down into that. But before we do, I want to ask you if you could do us a favor. I know who you are. You and I have rubbed shoulders a number of times. I, your wife and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah. Um, but not everybody watching or listening is going to know you. So can you real quick, in like you know, five sentences or less, give us the tiniest bit of background. Like where are you from? What are you doing now? Yeah. And what were you like as a kid? Okay. Yeah, so... Um, Born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, so uh, native. Sound like I'm from Alabama, though. Yeah. Um, you know. Glad you own that. As a kid, I was. Uh, di- I probably should have been diagnosed with ADHD. My mom just solved it by putting me outside and telling me not to come back home till six o'clock. Okay. Good. Um, good. For no medicine. <laughs> um, and you know, I'm married to Erica Mitchell, who works down at VCU. Met her actually through Needle's Eye, which is a huge blessing. Yeah. Dad of two amazing daughters. I got a four-year-old and a 16-month-old. That's where yeah. all the gray comes from on my sides. Oh, yeah. I get it. I've got um, a four and a two-year-old, but one's a boy. So yeah. no, no gray, not major gray for me yet. Yeah. It's coming. But I mean, those are the main things. And then obviously you said, you know, I work in banking. Um, been there, been doing that for like 13 years. Wow. Actually started as a teller at a local, at the okay. local branch. Um, and then about five years ago, Ended up down at a church in Verina, and the Lord. Five years. Five years. Wow, I didn't realize it'd been that. I thought this was like you know last eighteen months, two years. Sort of. No. So I, shoot. Yeah, okay. it was a it was a hey, our pastor of forty years died, and I was filling in one Sunday to help out, and that was the Lord's way of getting me in the door. Okay. I had no idea that yeah. I'd be a pastor in a church. Hadn't been to seminary, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's been probably one of the coolest parts of my God's story yeah. is that, that door. That was definitely not something I had planned, but it's, yeah. been, a, it's been a really cool um, awesome. thing. So, okay. yeah. Well, good. I can't wait to hear more about that. So as a kid, what we got is you had ADHD. Yep. That was it. That's, that, that was, that yeah. just, that was mean, your personality. Well, and I love, so here, so you'll appreciate this. So my cousin and I, we used to be huge fans of WWE wrestling. Of course. We watched it all the time. So we literally at one point created a, we took a, um, uh, trampoline in his backyard. We created a full entrance with a ramp and everything. And we had like uh-huh. 10 kids in the neighborhood. We created personalities and we started like our own wrestling league. Oh my God. And so my uncle, he used to come out there and ref the matches for us. Oh, that's And awesome. we would literally like do like a 15 minute wrestling match, like with our personalities and Did stuff. Did you have like the storylines in oh, the background? Everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we, it would be like a three hour thing. Like we'd have like six matches in a day and Man, all the kids. You guys could have charged admittance or admissions, yeah. you know, like that's, that's so funny. So that was like our thing. So we, lo- we lo- loved wrestling. I don't watch as much anymore, but um, it was a big, huge wrestling fan. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Yeah. That's awesome. I used to do it with my cousins. I, they, they were the biggest fans on earth. Whenever we get together, that's all that we would talk about. That's yep. so funny. Awesome. Well, okay. So we got, you know, you were ADHD, <laughs> wrestle mania <laughs> fanatic back when you were a kid, born and raised in Richmond, but yep. you know, talk like you're from much further south. Yep. Um, 
And now, again, I'm just fascinated by the fact, like, the reality is the fact that you are bivocational. So just like, kind of go with that where you can. Talk to me a little bit about why you choose to do these two jobs. You're senior vice president for one, and you're a lead pastor over here. Yeah. Why do them at the same time? So, um, you know, I didn't, the funny thing is, I mean, I didn't really kind of plan that. I mean, it just kind of happened. Um, part, of, part of the challenge was, I think, initially, when I, when, when I was asked to uh, help with the church, and then I realized it wasn't just a, hey, you're helping out. The Lord was saying to me through scripture, I've opened this door mm. for ministry for you. Um, the church just wasn't at a place financially to even pay a pastor. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, they were, they were uh, you know, probably down to 25 or 30 people. Um, it was a very kind of inward focused congregation, not doing a whole lot of outreach in the community. Was it the church that you and your family were attending? No. So how'd you even have that connection? So it was through a family friend. So crazy story. My wife and I, we were going to Mechanicsville Christian Center. Okay. We were all in with MCC. We still love MCC. I do a lot of stuff with them, even with their men's ministry and stuff. Um, but a childhood friend, I was at a Christmas party that he just so happened to be at. And he was telling me about this situation with this church in Verina. I hadn't even been to Verina. Like I've lived in Richmond my whole life. I, didn't, I couldn't even tell you where Verina was on a map, <laughs> okay, yeah. right? So he told me, he said, hey, our church, our pastor who was here for 40 years, he died. And we're just inviting guests in to share a message. Mm. And he was like, if you'd be willing to come one Sunday, you know, I've, I've seen you were doing, because at the time I was involved with Needle's Eye. Right. And then I'd also been doing um, uh, RCLI. Oh, yeah. So he saw some of this stuff on my Facebook page. And he was like, hey, maybe you just come down and share a message. So I think he wanted me to come share my testimony or something like that. And, um, you know, I said, well, listen, if I'm going to come to a church, I want to pray about it. I want to make sure that I'm coming to say what God wants to say and not just totally. coming and talking. So I started praying about it. And this is, a, this is funny. I mean, this is how God works, Jeremy. He said, I want you to go down there and here's the message I want you to preach. Joshua chapter one. Moses is dead and it's time mm -hmm. to move forward. Yeah. Now he wants me to go preach this at the church where the pastor had been there for 40 years had just died and most of his kids were going to church still there. Yeah. I'm like, Lord, you're kidding me. I'm not going down there and saying that. Like, they'll throw me out of here. Mm -hmm. So my wife... Um, but right before I was getting ready to go down there and give the message, it was, I was actually, the first message was December 31st, 2017. So oh, New wow. Year's Eve, yeah. right? So I had to go to, um, to Hobby Lobby to get something for her at the house. And I walk around one of the corners and I'm, I kid you not, we actually have it on the altar at church. There was a picture frame, Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, oh my goodness, the Lord wants me to preach this message. Like, and I knew I, was like, I don't do this. I'm going I'm to be in trouble. Like he wants me to really preach this message. So I was like, all right. And so I went down there and shared their word with them. And surprisingly, like a week later, they called me back and they were like, hey, we really enjoyed the message. Would you be willing to come back and do it again? And they were actually in the process of talking with a church out of Williamsburg about merging the churches. So like, right. I was just down there helping out for one Sunday. You know, they learned about my business background. So the next thing you know, I'm helping them kind of work through this merger and giving them okay. advice from a business perspective. Right. Well, by March, that business, that merger falls through because okay. the congregations couldn't come to terms. And so now I'm like, Lord, what in the world am I doing down here? Like, mm -hmm. they, now they don't have a plan B. They don't have a whole lot of money. And the Lord was like, you were plan A. I want to say, because that was what, about three months then of relationship that you right. were, That was like your interview. Yeah. I'm not, you didn't realize it. No, like, exactly. They may not right. realize it yeah. at the time. But, and but Eric, that's what and Eric and my wife up. sure didn't realize that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that was hard too. I mean, yeah. For the first year that I was down there, look, I, I can be really transparent with you. She was still going to MCC. Mm -hmm. She was not, she was like, I don't know if this is what God really wants us to right. do. Cause she really loved the community MCC. And I'm like, yeah. no, I, 
I know I heard from the Lord on this. Yeah. So I had to give her the space to kind of work that out. Yeah. You know, and that was interesting for our marriage. Well, as I say, talk talk to me a little bit about, you know, you obviously are doing it now. You've been doing it for five years. I'm sure you've worked out some kinks. You've had some rough patches along the way. Yeah. What are some of the realities of saying, hey, I work a full-time job that, that kind of, you know, pays the bills and provides for the family. Yeah. But I also work this, like, it's not like being a pastor is a, a part-time gig. Right. I mean, you're still given... I'm going to guess roughly the same amount of time to the church as you are to the bank. Yeah. So what, what are some of the realities attached to that? I mean, it's hard. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, I have, I much more appreciate now being on the other side, like what the life of a pastor is like mm-hmm. and how much emotionally and like physically in terms of time, it, it, sure. it is draining. I think part of the challenge that we, that, that we run into, especially in the Western church now is that there's this idea that the pastor and like one or two other people are supposed to do all of the ministry yeah. in church. Mm-hmm. And that was not the desire of the Lord. When you go back to Acts and you look at, it was that we all have the same Holy Spirit. We're all supposed to be doing ministry. Right. So there's a lot of like expectations that are unsaid to you, but behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was challenging trying to figure that out and navigate that. Also just setting boundaries. Like, listen, I have a family too. So at seven o'clock, now, people know when I get off work, my drive home up until about six o'clock from six to nine thirty, that is my wife and my kids time. Yeah. I don't take any phone calls. I don't read any emails. And if that doesn't work, then sorry. Yeah. Right. And I had to just kind of draw those real hard lines in the sand because boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. People will call you at eight thirty at night and oh, I need to talk to you about such and such work or ministry. Right. Um, so then, you know, that was that was challenging. And then also just, you know, it's weird when you're having to like spiritually lead your family, but then you're also like, you're asking your wife to let you be her pastor. Right. Like that's different. Family dynamics are big. Right. Yeah. And so Erica and I had to really work through that. And like, what does that look like? You know? Um, so I learned a lot. I mean, it was, there were a lot of humbling experiences through that, you mm-hmm. know, and we, and you don't get it all right. You, sure. That's why we have grace. You yeah. work through it, you make mistakes. Um, but yeah, it's, like I said, it was, I learned more about people's expectations than anything. People have a lot of yeah. unsaid expectations. Yeah. So, and you know, I, I was in a pastoral role for 10 years myself. Right. So, you know. Not quite the position you were. I no, but you the, know. But, you know, th- there's, there's an interesting dynamic that happens with family. Because like you said, you know, now all of a sudden you're pastoring your wife in some ways and spiritually leading this congregation, spiritually leading at home, all these sorts of things. What has been like the biggest transition, not for you specifically, what's been the biggest transition for your family? Yeah, so for my wife, and, and, and like I said, I, I, you know, I, I'm trying to be totally transparent. Sure. Like when probably about two years in, I realized that I needed to step up my spiritual disciplines at home. Like mm-hmm. they started to take a backseat right. and it wasn't fair to my wife. And my wife was like, you're giving more of your best time and energy to the bank and to the church, and I feel like I'm getting your leftovers. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, and so, no, it is. And I'm not a morning person, right? My wife, she's up 5:45, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed like a bunny rabbit, and I'm like rolling out of bed at seven, you know, uh-huh. trying to get a cup of coffee. And so, part of what we realized was we needed to change our dynamics in our home. I couldn't. I wanted to try to commit to getting home from work and doing these things, but the reality was I was tired. Yeah. So, like for the last you know, probably a year or so, I've been very intentional now. We get up at 5.45 in the morning, 6 to 6.30 is our protected time, even yeah. with our kids, because they're still asleep. 
And so we have a cup of coffee together and every morning we read scripture together mm. out loud, just one chapter, you know, once one day she's reading it, the next day I'm reading it. We don't have to talk about it. We right. have to have a discussion about it, but it's something that we do together that she's my priority the first thing in the morning. Yeah. And, and so that, that was a big help that really got her more bought into coming down to the church and being a part of it. She was like, now I feel like I'm a priority for you. Right. You know, yeah. and that was hard to hear. Well, and I think what can happen often, and this is actually true ministry setting or business setting, you know, marketplace setting. If your job becomes kind of tied up with your identity or it's your purpose or what, it really is your family that gets kind of shoved off to the sideline. Yeah. And for very understandable reasons, that can breed resentment at home right. for what you're doing. Yeah. So what you're describing is saying, okay, I had to set my priorities in, in line. Yes, yeah. part of my job is at the bank. You know, part of my job is at the church. And it's easy to say, well, that's ministry, right? Ministry takes precedence over everything. Yeah. And you very much had to learn, nothing takes precedence over the responsibility God has given me. And my family is one of those responsibilities. Yeah. No, it's, and the thing is, man, I tell people all the time, you cannot over-communicate to others your priorities. Yeah. That's the thing I think we don't do enough of. Like, so I had to really start driving out consistently over and over until people wanted to throw up yeah. the message at church as, hey, I'm not going to compromise time with my family. Yeah. Right? So what does that look like? I'm not doing like the old pastor and teaching Wednesday night Bible studies. Yeah. Somebody else is going to teach it. I'm not teaching Sunday school every Sunday morning. Somebody else can do it. And guess what? It empowered other people yep. and they loved it. But the pastor before me, he was the only scripture authority in church. He right. taught Sunday school. He did Wednesday night Bible study. He taught every Sunday. I yeah. also have two other bivocational pastors with me. Oh, great. Okay. So I preach two Sundays a month. They preach the other two Sundays. Mm -hmm. So I also get time off, right? Yeah. You know, so it's like just building some of those routines. And now that's, it's unique to our congregation and it works most. I know a lot of pastors are full time and, you know, I understand mm -hmm. that, right? Um, so it's, it's really just about, you know, setting the right priorities, but then also over communicating those things yeah. to people. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you feel at all that like you're not dependent on your church job for your family's well-being, for your financial security? Does that give you a little bit more of 100%. this ability to have that flexibility or that independence to go, I, I can't do these things and I won't do them? 100%. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story that's probably one of the most challenging things that I ever dealt with at the church. So my first year in there, um, I knew that when God brought me to the church, that we were supposed to be, he made it very clear to me, he said, I want you all to be multiracial, multigenerational. When I first got there, it was probably 95% white mm -hmm. and they were all over the age of 65. Yeah. Um, and there was an African-American pastor that lived in the community who asked me, um, he was doing a little home church thing and he, they kind of outgrew his living room. Mm. And he asked me, he said, hey, on Saturdays, would you mind if we came in and used like your fellowship hall? Well, to me, it made perfect sense. You got another brother in the Lord that's yeah. trying to share the gospel and yeah. winning souls. And he's also willing to pay you a little bit of rent to the church. That good yeah. stewardship, right? So I remember taking it to the leadership at the time, because um, at the time the church was run by deacons, which is how a lot of some of the older churches are set up. Mm -hmm. And uh, at first it was, well, I don't know if our insurance covers that. Right. right. So I call the insurance company, you know, Church Mutual. They said, your insurance covers anybody on your property Monday through Sunday. Okay. Okay. Great. So we go back. Well, now if we elect, you know, take rent, we'll have to pay taxes. I called an accountant for him. He's like, oh yeah, Lee, it's a 990 easy form. Well, I quickly realized what the issue was, Jeremy. Right. It had nothing to do with our insurance, had nothing to do with the money. 
it was that the fact that the man was black and they didn't want black folks in the church. Right. And so we had a conversation. head face on. Yeah. So we had a conversation um, in a board meeting one night and I told him point blank, I said, we're going to take this to the congregation for a vote. And if they vote against it, that's fine. But we're not going to make this decision in this room. We're going to take it to the congregation because I think they have a right to know what we're talking about and then make the decision. So they agreed with me. I think they thought that that was going to help kind of solve the issue and not right. leave it alone. I don't think what they expected was that the congregation was going to vote 85% in favor of right. letting them use the building on Saturday. So when the vote happened that Sunday afternoon, I'll never forget this. I got a call that night that told me we need to have a meeting with you Monday evening from the leadership team at the time. And uh, I went in there and I pulled up with them and they started going through all this craziness. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you basically got up and gave a mini sermon. No wonder everybody voted for it. And I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church, aren't I? Like, don't I have a right to tell people what I feel like the Bible says about right. how we treat one another? Like, what are you talking about? And, um, and basically it got to a point where it got pretty heated. And, and I told him point blank, I said, either you guys are gonna go or I'm gonna go. Right. And I could say that to them because I wasn't dependent on a paycheck every two weeks. Right. Right. And at the end of the night, three of them got up and left. Yeah. Wow. Which I mean, that's permanently. And I hate to say, and I, I don't, I don't ever want to see somebody leave a church. Sure. But I'm also not going to sit there and tolerate something that is clearly right. not what Scripture supports, which is racism. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, so and that's that's and, a, a and, and, and then after that, out of that came the fact that now our congregation is 60% African-American and 40% Caucasian. Yeah, and okay. the two pastors that are co-pastoring with me are both African-American men, right? And we're one of the only biracial churches in all of Verina. Right. And that's that's what it should look like, right? right? That's that's the demographic of Verina. Our yeah. church should be reflective of the neighborhood that we're planted in. Mm -hmm. But I know that if I didn't have that freedom, yeah, I would hope that I would have still pushed hard, but I can understand the pressure that some of these pastors are under when it comes to their paycheck. Right. Like, and the fact that they rely on a congregation for their income. Yeah. Yeah. So it's tough. That's, but yeah, that shows a great deal of, of leadership. First off, that's great leadership. That's great conviction and sticking to what you know to be biblical truth. And I think that's, that is a, a fascinating reality of there are, there are obviously cons to bivocational. Your time is split. Your focus is split. Your family, right? We've talked about that. There are a couple of benefits too. Benefits of saying, well, I'm not continue, I'm not dependent upon this because God has blessed me with this over here as well. So I, I think that's just, a, again, it's just a fascinating reality. Yeah. So I, we've spent a lot of time here talking about the church side and I think that's great. I wanna hear a little bit more about the banking side too mm -hmm. because you, you've been doing that, you said for a little over 13 years. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you even had a, before that you had a little bit of like, a you were affiliated or adjacent to politics, right? Yeah. You had an interesting kind of career path to get to where you are. Um, how do you see those serving each other? Me meaning like what you've learned, how you've developed in your role as a senior vice president for a bank. How does that serve you in your role as pastor? And how does your role as pastor help, you know, kind of retroactively teach you in your role as a senior vice president? Yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate in my career at the bank, really in general, in, in life. Like even when I first got saved in a church, um, I had older men in my life who were willing to pour into me. Yeah. Right. And I think when I think about mentorship, that's a big deal. Like the boss that I work for right now, I've worked for him for seven years. Okay. And I've had probably five or six different jobs working for him. And he's really helped me grow a ton in my career. When I look at, you know, when I was um, 
uh, when I first got saved in my first home church, right? I had two older men who poured into me and really discipled me and taught me what it was like to grow up as a young man in the Lord, yeah. right? So I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate from the corporate world that I, I think sometimes we don't translate as well over to ministry, which is like, we're constantly pouring into other people, but it's like, who's pouring into us, yeah. right? Who's yeah. our covering? <laughs> who's our, you know, um, who's helping us, you know, stay accountable, right? Yeah. Um, so that was a big thing for me and, and my boss. Really, the one thing I learned in the bank from him is how to communicate, like how to tell a story. And I think a lot of people, communication is a, is a lost art form, especially mm -hmm. in, in a world where we're driven by technology and short snippets. Let me shoot you a text, let me do a tweet or whatever, right? Like the ability to sit down and do what we're doing, have a conversation, work through challenging topics as yeah. well, right? Like, you know, one of the things the bank does every year is I get this, what they call uh, 360 feedback. Yeah. They send an email out to all the people who work for me and people who I partner with, and they allow them to give very constructive feedback confidentially. Mm. And every year my boss and I have to sit down and we go over this. Yeah. So I just got mine back two weeks ago and I already knew what it was gonna say before I got it. So one of the things I'm terrible at is when somebody's talking, if I think I know what they're trying to say or I think I know where the conversation's gonna go, I'll talk over them. Ah. Three people confidentially in my review said, Lee, the one thing you need to work on is stop talking over us. Like, Let me finish my thought. And I'm like, darn it, I knew that was gonna be in there, right? <laughs> but that's helpful because it's also a tool where you realize, hey, like, you're not perfect. You got things you gotta get better at, yeah. right? And so I think the bank has helped me grow a lot in my communication and my relationship skills. Um, and then even just with um, like I said, with my boss and the mentorship that I have from him, um, I learned a lot about leadership in the bank that I was able, I've been able to bring to ministry at the church. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of that, because I've, I've talked to you in the past about leadership, and I've, you know, we've just known each other off and on for long enough. I know two of the, I think you call them the two E's, right? Like one of your your bedrock foundation for leadership is equip and encourage. Yep. Explain to me kind of what you mean or how you live that out in your leadership. So you have, so I, what I've learned in the bank and then what I've tried to duplicate in ministry is, you know, we always hear the rule of the 80-20 rule. 80% yeah. of people do 20% of the work. A lot of that is self-fulfilling because people are afraid to delegate or give work out. Sure. Part of it is, I think, a couple of things. One is it's if I give it away to somebody else, then I'm not doing it anymore. And so you talked about earlier, like the identity thing. So sometimes we find that our jobs, we get caught up in our identity and it's like, well, I can't delegate this because I need to do this. It's yeah. part of my title and part of my job. And if I don't do this, somebody's gonna wonder if I'm working or, right? So we, we it's self-preservation. But then part of it is also it's messy. Yeah. Because I have expectations of what it's supposed to look like. If I delegate it to somebody else, chances are they're not gonna do it exactly how I want them to do it. So then I have to have grace for them. Mm. And I have to spend time with them and say, hey, you did it. 80% of it was great. There's this 20% that could probably be done differently. And I gotta work through that with them, yeah. which means I gotta spend time developing that person. That takes time, right? And so a lot of times what I find in the corporate world particularly is we focus on task over people. Let me get this meeting done. Let me get this email out. Let me get this report done. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. And then I'll just put a, I'll put off one of my partners or my employees for the whole day that I know I really need to pull up with and coach on something because that's messy and that's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. And I really need to get these task things done, right? So that's part of it. I think the equipping piece, right, yeah. um, is that 
part of it's self-preservation. We hold on to it. Part of it, we don't want to spend the time because we don't think we have it. Um, and then, um, you know, I think part of it's just a lot of us. I mean, I know for me, I'm sometimes I'm a control freak. Like I have a certain way I want it done. It's like it can only be done that way. And it's like, no, that's not true. Uh-huh. Right. When you're married long enough, you learn that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when I, we, my wife and I first got married, like the dishes have to be in the dishwasher a certain way. Uh-huh. No, they don't. The dishwasher washes them no matter how you put them in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, some right? ways are more efficient than others. Right? But you know, yeah, I get it. I get right? it. Like, put all the cups up top and the bowls and the plates at the bottom. Uh-huh. Don't the, you know? But you know, so it's like so that you work through those things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the encouragement piece is, you know, I think a lot of times when something goes wrong, we want to, and I've and I've been there, and I've had it done to me, and I know what it feels like is we overreact and we come down hard on somebody, mm. and it's like then you take a person who's like stepped out and tried something that you've asked them to do and you've like killed all their creativity. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you give them, you know, feedback? We, my boss calls it an opportunity. Here's an opportunity for you. Like even the language we use, I've learned even like that, like just the words that we use are so important. Yeah. Right. So I use that word opportunity now because my boss beat that into my head. So you encourage people. You say, Hey, you did these things really well. Here's an opportunity. Right. So you, you, you make people feel like, oh, man, I did something right. Like I took this thing that Lee asked me to do and I, I did well with it. Or I took this thing that Jeremy asked me to do and I did well with it. But I also I could do this better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. I mean, you, and k- having kids helps you with that, you know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's but yeah, I mean, that I think is a lot of that I've learned, like I said, from being at the bank and just seeing it done well and seeing it not done well. I've had yeah. some really crappy bosses who would just beat you into the ground and never tell you anything you were doing well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a great deal of value and leadership value in positive feedback and right. actually going to people, not just when something's wrong. Right. And sometimes it's just to say, you did wonderful. You yeah. did a great job. And we just forget that stuff, right? Yeah. Like, how many times, I mean, I know I'm guilty this all the time. How many times do I stop and tell my kids what they're doing well yeah. versus the one time that Madeline spills spaghetti all over the floor yeah. or doesn't eat her food, you know, or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Like, it just... I think part of it's just also we've been taught that way, which is yeah. something we got to unlearn. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, that's so. true. That's good. Okay, well, so uh, sticking a little bit still on on this idea of you being bivocational, there's this there's this concept that's out there, right? And I grew up. I don't know if anyone ever called it this, but I grew up believing it. It's called the sacred secular divide, and essentially, it's the idea that you know God has kind of two tracks for people. The the truly righteous people go into ministry. If you want to do work that really matters to God, you do ministry work. Right. And then if you're not quite good enough or if your work doesn't matter so much, you can go into banking or finance or, you know, whatever. Just any other Monday to Friday, you know, marketplace gig. And and I very much kind of grew up believing, well, if I want to do work that matters to God, I got to go do ministry work. I got to be a pastor or a missionary or something. Right. You're now doing both. Right. You're doing the, the banking job. So the job that's kind of the, the secular side that the way I grew up felt less important and you're doing the ministry side. Do you still, or maybe you never did, but do you have that sense of that sacred secular? My, my, my church job is more important. That's actually oh. work that matters to God. And I mean, listen, I grew up the same way you did, right? A lot of us have been taught some of the same things, yeah. right? And, um, you know, I remember even thinking when I was in my late teenager years, I got saved at like 17-ish, okay. like up till probably 25 that, oh, if you really want to do meaningful stuff for God, you need to be a youth pastor or a pastor. And not that that's not a great thing, sure. right? Or, sure. Um, but that this idea of like your work wasn't as important in the secular world, yeah. right? And part of what I've learned over time, 
Needles Eye helped a lot with that just through small group and just conversations is that that is not true at all. Yeah. Right. Like the workplace is probably the biggest mission field, hmm. not only in the United States, but I would argue probably in the world. Mm -hmm. And because we have taught so many people that for a long time, a lot of people have missed ministry opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, because there, and then there's also this whole thing about now, even with the workplace, like this whole idea of like, can I even talk about faith at work and stuff? And what, but what happens is, is if you're just listening to people talk in their daily life, you will pick up on clues of things that are going on in their life. Yeah. Right. And those are little moments where the Holy Spirit opens a door to do something with ministry. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so one of the things we do every Wednesday and, and we do it at the bank, uh, me and a handful of people is we get together for 30 minutes and we have a prayer time in my office, you mm. know, and, and I blocked it out. It's my lunch time. So they can't tell me I'm doing something on company time. Right. 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 And three or four of us, we get together in my office and we pray. And we've been doing this for probably, we did it a lot more before COVID and then COVID when we all went home was more difficult. Yeah. And we got back in the office, we started it back up. But it's funny because as we've, as we've been doing this, people know what we're doing in there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, We'll have people on the floor come up to us and say, hey, Tony's one of the guys in there with us. Hey, Tony, I know you guys are meeting to pray. Hey, my mom's getting ready to have surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, tomorrow on cataracts or something. Will you guys pray for her? Yeah. Or girl come up to me, hey, you know, my son's been having a lot of issues at school. Will you just keep him in prayer? You know, or we'll hear of something and then we'll just pray for somebody. And then somebody will go and say, hey, I just want you to know we, we, we were actually praying for you or so-and-so and such-and-such. -and -such. Yeah. And then that opens up a whole new door like, oh, you were praying for me? Like, why did you guys decide to pray for me? Well, because we believe in the power of prayer and mm -hmm. we know this was a big issue going on in your life or this person passed away or this family member's having a health issue or whatever, right? And so, yeah, our workplace is an absolute mission field, Yeah. you know? Um, if you see it that way, if you just allow yourself to be open to listening to what's going on in people's lives. And you don't have to you know the whole Bible backwards to forth. Absolutely. You don't yeah. have to quote scripture to them. Right. You've right. got to be available. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of it's prayer. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and or just sharing something encouraging with somebody, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and I think to your point, it's not even always... It's not even always saying the works, the words of ministry. It's often the way that you are engaging in your own work. If you are actually doing your work with excellence and you're doing it with dignity and worth to all of your coworkers or clients, whoever, you are modeling the character of God in the workplace. Yeah. There is, there is ministry that is accomplished through that even though you're not in a ministry setting or working a ministry job. You are still giving God glory by doing whatever job He's given you to do and doing it to the best of your ability and, and for to be a reflection of his goodness. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I mean, we have to. Yeah. I mean, scripture has, you know, and the Lord puts a call on us, yeah. you know, in our lives. I mean, we, we, you hear the word constantly talk about in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, be separate, be different. Like we're supposed to look different than the world. Mm -hmm. We look at it as, and we've corrupted it more recently, like it's this political difference. Sure. Like we, we're pro-life or whatever, right? And all this stuff, but it's like, no, when you offend somebody, you're supposed to ask, you're supposed to ask for their forgiveness. Right. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be gentle. Like yeah. those are the pieces of scripture that we don't like to deal with. Like yeah. we like to deal with outward sin of other people, but our own inward sin. Right. And, 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 but when we deal with that and model that in the workplace, people notice, wait a minute, you're not like everybody else. You, you actually apologize when you make a mistake. Like you're actually humble. You're not 
you know, trying to run up some corporate ladder and step on everybody as you go, like you're different. And why, how, how is that? Why is that? Right. So like you said, like some of it's just how we live, how we right. act that makes a difference, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I've, I mean, I'm still learning this. Right. So yeah. like three weeks ago, we had, a, we had a conference call with all of my peers and we're all, you know, mid-level executives at the bank. And I was very rude to one of my peers. I'll be straight up with you. And I cut her off like two times. Right. So I felt horrible about it. I mean, it was immediately got convicted by the Holy Spirit. Call ended. I called her up immediately. I said, Justine, I just want to apologize. I'm really sorry. I was rude. And she, you know, she said, I mean, she goes, well, you didn't have to call and apologize. That's the expectation yeah. that's been set. Like, that's normal. And I'm like, no, I need to apologize to you. I was rude to you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Like, I have to be different. Right. Be- not, not only because I want to be different, but that's also what Scripture tells us to yeah. do. Right? right. Now, somebody might look at that and say, oh, well, I, I, I admitted that making a mistake. Does that, you know, mess my career path right. up or, you know, whatever. Right. And it's like, no, it's just that's the right thing to do. Well, and tying that back a little bit to something you talked about earlier, you talked about the idea of identity and, and an unwillingness to um, empower others, right? So this idea of if I don't do it, right, then, then that actually hurts my identity because it, it's mine to do and I have to look perfect and I have to perform this well. And so calling somebody up and admitting I made a mistake is certainly a way of, of knocking your own identity and going, oh man, I am now admitting to somebody else that I'm not perfect, that I don't know what I'm doing, that I'm fallible and capable of mistakes. Right. And if your identity is tied up into your job or your position or your reputation, that is much harder to do than if your identity is tied up to Christ and you go, no, 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 because I, my identity is firm, it's secure in Jesus, I can call up and say, hey, listen, I need to be humble with you for a minute. I messed up. Yeah. Can you forgive me? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, talk to me a little bit about... Um, you're the kind of guy who I think comes across as like everything kind of works out in the end, right? You, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all. You are a very encouraging person to be around, but like you, you just speak and it's like rainbows and butterflies, right? Do you feel like there have been moments where you've actually faced, mo- faced struggles or hardships or trials where you've been like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm the right person or maybe you actually experienced genuine failure. Yeah. I mean, can you, can you just share like, an example of that, of how you faced it, what you went through and what it did to you internally. Yeah. So, um, Eric and I have been married since 2014. So we're going on nine years this September. I think that's right. Okay. 10 years next year. Yeah. So when Erica had our first daughter, Madeline, um, she had a very traumatic experience with the birth of Madeline. And, um, and after when she, afterwards, when she got out of the hospital, you know, I had the bank, one of the nice benefits of the bank is I get three months paternity leave. Pretty nice, yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, and, and so not, even, not many people get that, right? So it's all new for me. I'd never had a child before, never had three months paid off, yeah. right? And so I started doing projects around the house and our house in the city and being that I was pastoring a church, you know, I'm like, wow, I get this free time to get a bunch of stuff done up at church. And, you know, what, what happened was I, I left my wife in a very vulnerable place yeah. where she really needed me at the house. Yeah. And, and I didn't do that. Um, and that created a lot of bitterness in our marriage. Um, and rightfully so. She had every right to be upset and frustrated with me because I, I should have been there for her. And mm-hmm. her mom had to be there more for her than I was. Um, and so I'll never forget, we were having a conversation one night in the living room of our house in the city at the time. And we were having a very real conversation about something that I'd never thought we were going to have a conversation about, which was things need to change or 
we're gonna get lawyers, yeah. right? And that's not a place where her or I ever thought we would be, right? Standing at the altar, you know, doing right. our vows. Right. Um, and so luckily for us, you know, Buddy who had married us, to, you know, the original executive director at Needle's Eye, every year we would meet with him pretty consistently to do marriage counseling. And that year we just hadn't set up the time yet to meet with him. And so we set up time with him and he really helped me understand that I had, I had failed. Yeah. I had really failed. Wow. And it's um, hard to hear too. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. It's a gut punch, you know, cause you're also trying to be like, you know, you're the pastor, you're the guy at work. You're trying to be like the guy that looks good in the community. Like we live off the Facebook images like, Oh, our marriage is perfect. Right. right? No, not everybody's is. And right. So, um, I had to sit down and I remember literally by the time he's like, you need to write out in a journal everything that you screwed up on mm. and you need to read it out loud to Erica and ask her to forgive you. Wow. And, um, and that was also part of that time where I was telling you about earlier where I wasn't doing what I needed to do with spiritual disciplines. Yeah. And, um, and she was really honest with me. I mean, Erica was like, you really suck as a husband right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just being real with you. And that sucks to hear that. Um, but I appreciate the fact that she was willing to be vulnerable with me that way. And so I had to do some soul searching. <laughs> I had to change some things. Um, you know, so when we had Millie, our second daughter, you know, I got three months again, guess what? Now there wasn't as many issues, but I was there. I, I, I knew this time I gotta make sure I'm here for Eric and what she needs, right? right? Um, but yeah, I mean, those, there, there are always gonna be moments in our life where we're going to come to the end of ourselves in something, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's parenting our kids, whether it's at our job. And, you know, um, the Lord talks a lot about in the word, like, you know, follow me daily and take up your cross. Like this idea of our flesh being crucified yeah. is not fun. And yeah. We'll talk about it, yeah. right? Because that's a painful thing to have to go through, but that's part of, how he molds us into his image, yeah. right? Is he, he exposes the selfishness that we have, that we don't see, right? I'm like, well, I, I've never gotten three months off. Like, why should I be sitting in the bedroom all day and having to run downstairs and get food all the time? And like, I have all this other stuff needs to get done, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't realize how selfish I was, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, so that was a big learning experience for me in our marriage. I mean, I've had moments like that, I think, in the workplace as well, but that was probably the most real for me yeah. um, was, was for that. And, 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 it was, and ever since then, I mean, not that our marriage is perfect now, but we really are in a much better place and, and having a really good, you know, balance in terms of our work and different things, but also just our spiritual disciplines, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, sharing any of these kind of things and being, being willing to say like, Hey, look, here's a way that I was a failure is hard to do. Thank you. And that's actually, I think, modeled scripturally. I, I always think about how Paul, and, and if you look at Galatians, right, he kind of opens it up with, here's what I did and what I went through. And everybody was shocked because I was the guy that was previously like chasing people down, hurting them for their faith. Yeah. And it's that willingness to say, I'm not perfect. And let me throw off the, the veil that I've put up and show you where I am flawed and broken, but learning. Yeah. And I think that is just really great. I am very grateful. And I think it's wonderful that you're willing to share that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, and, you know, we'll, we'll head kind of towards the end here. I've got two more questions for you. But, you, you know, you, you've obviously been successful so far in your banking career as well as in your pastoral career. Um, but there are opportunities that you've passed up. There are opportunities that you've taken. Um, and you're clearly very intentional with your faith. 
Can you describe in any meaningful way how you seek God and his help in discerning which opportunities you actually take and knowing which opportunities are not yours? So I would tell people, and, I, and, I, 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 and, I, and we say this, but I really mean this. You have to be in the word of God. Okay. Like God speaks to us through his word. And literally every major decision that my wife and I have made, and even for me, like I can take you to a scripture where God literally told me through that scripture with his Holy Spirit that this is what I want you to do, mm -hmm. right? I, I, even to the point of like, I'll tell you an interesting story, you know, try not to be long-winded, but at one point in the bank, I was being highly uh, kind of uh, elbowed to take this job in Dallas. And this is at a time when, you know, I was part of Needle's Eye on the board, actually. Like, I was doing a lot of stuff in Richmond. I wasn't at the church at the time. Um, this was, like, probably seven years ago. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to move to Rich, uh, move out of Richmond to Texas. And, like, that would have freaked Erica's parents out and my parents out, right? So one of the big things that was a big deal breaker at the time was Erica was in graduate school mm -hmm. going to George Washington. And uh, VCU was paying all of her tuition because, wow. you know, uh, it was related to her getting... Um, her nurse practitioner. So we basically said, listen, if something happens with that, maybe that's a sign that we're supposed to start looking at Dallas, yeah. right? For my job specifically. Out of nowhere, she gets a letter from uh, George Washington. She, she got this $25,000 scholarship that she didn't apply for. She didn't even know existed. Yeah. Right. So now we're like, oh, this is real. Like, and at the time we knew uh, somebody, Lisa Ratner and Bill were living in Texas. And so we started reaching out to them and started looking at houses and I applied for this job. And that's what we thought the Lord wanted us to do. Yeah. Right. We told our parents, my mom's like all crying, like you're leaving Richmond. Yeah. Right. Um, so we went some friends to, uh, to Nags Head for a week. And I was like, man, this is a big deal. You know? So Every morning I decided I was going to get up and I was going to get in the word because I was like, man, I need to really hear from the Lord on this. Right. So Monday, get up in the morning. Everybody else is asleep. Go out on the porch. I get in first Timothy mm. and I read halfway through first Timothy. And, you know, like you can read the word and like you're hearing you're, you're reading stuff, but you're not. God's not speaking to you. yet. Yeah. So I'm like, OK, so get up the second morning, Tuesday, go out, do the same thing. Finish first Timothy. Nothing. Wednesday, start in second Timothy. Nothing. Thursday, get into the rest of second Timothy. Nothing. Friday, I get up, I'm reading the word and Titus, this little book of the Bible that hardly anybody ever comes across, chapter one, verse five. And it says, for this reason, I, Paul, remained in Crete. Mm -hmm. You take the word Paul out, put my name in, take the word Crete out, put Richmond in. And it was the Holy Spirit literally speaking to me like I'm talking to you right now. Lee, I want you to stay in Richmond. Yeah. Right. So I tell my wife this, we're riding home Saturday. And this is why you can, sometimes she can get mads at me, right? Because I've got her all excited about Dallas. Then I get on the car with her on Saturday. I'm like, yeah, Dallas is out. We're not going to Dallas. Yeah. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, we've been talking about it. You know, we've been praying about it. I got this scholarship. It's a true story. So Monday, that following Monday, I'm supposed to do the interview yeah. that afternoon at two o'clock with the guy who's going to basically hire me for this Dallas job. So I get up, I'm going to work. Erica gets up. She goes downstairs in our townhouse at the time to get a cup of coffee. When I traveled for work, I used to always get these Starbucks mugs for every city that I went to. Uh -huh. She opens the cabinet, the Dallas mug fell out onto the kitchen floor and shattered to pieces. 
she called me freaking out. She was like, oh my God, Lee, Dallas is out. We can't go to Dallas. Yes. Like, <laughs> the Lord does not want us to go to Dallas. I'm like, I know, I'm telling you. So I literally called the guy that afternoon. I tell him, I'm like, listen, I know this doesn't make any sense to you, but I'm withdrawing my name from the process. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna apply for this job. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, we talked about it for weeks. I thought you were all in on this job. Yeah. I'm like, sir, I'm sorry, like I'm out. I can't, I can't explain to you, it won't make any sense to you, but I'm just telling you, this is not for me and my family. Yeah. Eight months later, they eliminated that job in Dallas. Oh, wow, okay. I would have moved to Dallas with my wife and I and uprooted our whole family, no friends other than one couple that we knew down there, and we would have been stuck. But because I got in the word, and it took me five days to get there, like the Mm -hmm. Lord was like, seek me and you'll find me, right? I'm not gonna give it to you on Monday, I'm gonna make you seek me for this. And that Friday morning, I'll never forget it, man. It's like, I'm looking at you right now. I can tell you, I can tell you exactly where I was when I hit Titus 1.5. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I tell people all the time, man, stay in scripture. God speaks to us through his word. I can tell you about the verse that he gave me for the church, you know, in 1 Corinthians. Paul's talking, for this door, for this reason, I opened this door for effective ministry. I knew in that verse. Yeah. That's what it is, right? And I can give you other verses and other pieces of big moments in our life where we made decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I would tell people, if you're a believer, like the word is alive. It's not something that was just written 2000 years ago for us to like change our behavior. It is the thing that God uses to speak to us yeah. today Yeah. Um, through his Holy Spirit. Um, so the word is, is, is critical. Yeah. Um, you know, so, that, so I don't know if that answered your question. I forget, no, I forget the other part of it. No, it does. The question was, how do you, you know, go to God and, and ask for him to help you discern what opportunities to take, what opportunities to skip? Yeah. I mean, that does it. Getting into the word and actually heeding what God is doing within you, being stirred by the Holy Spirit, recognizing that's not just, yeah. you know, some bubbles or something. And I didn't even, I, mean, I just literally, when we were in, you know, uh, Nagset, I was just like, I just, I was like, that morning I just pressed it. All right, well, I'm going to open my Bible. Yeah. And wherever I start, I'm just going to, I mean, I didn't have like a specific verse to go. I just opened the Bible yeah. and I was in Timothy. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to read Timothy. Yeah. Right. And like, it sounds crazy sometimes, but that's how the Lord will speak to us. Yep. And then a lot of times he'll come and confirm behind that with something like what happened with my wife. Now I'm not saying every time coffee mugs are going to fall out of your shelves. Sure. Yeah. Right? But, but like, then eight months later when the job gets dissolved, you can go, okay, God, God has a wisdom that I yeah. lack. He may speak to you through your, through sure. the word. And then all of a sudden a friend may, couple days later, come and confirm that through something Absolutely. else, right? Or whatever. Yeah. But it's, but we all, we have to go to him because he's our father and he's not going to lie to his kids. He yeah. wants what's best for us. Yeah. So he's going to lead us there because he's a good father. Yeah. You know, and I've been convinced of that. Like, you can't tell me otherwise. I have the best daddy in the whole world, mm-hmm. you know, and he's proven himself day after day after day. Even when I'm not good, he is good. Yeah. You know, that's great. And so the word, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Lee. Really, this whole thing has been awesome. The conversation has been great. And I love asking this last question just uh, with almost every guest so far. Um, you have a lot going on. You know, you, you got the full-time gig as SVP. You got the, past, the, the pastor thing, the church that you're leading. You've obviously got a family with two little girls at home, which is wonderful and exhausting. And, you know, you got a year and a half year old and that's yep. exhausting by itself. Oh, yeah. So you've got a ton of things happening. Where do you find joy right now in your, this season of life? So my kids, one, um, especially my four-year-old Madeline, she is like, just like me. Yeah. And so like her and I, we, like the other night we were running around the house with plastic swords, sword fighting, or we're making a tent uh, like in her room and like hanging out with her. So like, I know it sounds cheesy, but we have a lot of fun doing that. And then the other thing I really enjoyed, I think I was showing you earlier the pictures of and stuff, like I am not a farmer or like a green thumb person, uh-huh. right? 
but we've started doing this like farming stuff down at our church and like like it's been like one of the coolest things in the world right like going down and helping like dig out the potatoes and like mm. just you know like for me I sit, I sit in front of a computer all day yeah so I don't do a lot with my hands like as in like outside but like this has been like a lot of fun like doing stuff down at the farm um just kind of getting my hands dirty with stuff um yeah. so I like being outside like even at our house I do a lot of stuff like in our yard like that's my release like you know um versus being in a room all day staring at a computer screen. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So doing stuff outside and then doing stuff. I mean, I love spending time with my wife and both my kids, but you know, uh, Madeline and I, we can get pretty rowdy, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's awesome, that's great. And no yeah. wonder you had to leave the city. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a lot of farmland in the city, no, that's for I mean, sure. Well, I mean, the church luckily has a lot of the farmland. Yeah. I mean, we're, eventually we'd like to find some land, you know, here in Richmond somewhere. Yeah. Um, so we live in a neighborhood right now, but. We make it work. I got like a little outdoor raised garden bed yeah, in the okay. backyard. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you. Really, this has been helpful. It's been a great conversation, and I'm hoping this is going to have an impact on a lot of people. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. Absolutely. See you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Needles Eye Faith and Work Show. Please share, like, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode and want to see more. Needles Eye is a faith and work community based in Richmond, Virginia. We are a nonprofit organization that seeks to help working people grow in Christ, find purpose, and transform the marketplace. Check out Needles Eye online at www.needleseye.org. Here, you can find more content, check out upcoming in-person events, and learn more about partnering with us financially.